Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on this episode of Your Mortgage Process. I'm fortunate enough this week to have uh, my friend and business professional in our marketplace, Mr. Dino DeMauro, visiting us. Hey, Greg. How hey, are you doing? Hey, great, Dino. How you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me on. Good. Well, let me give a little plug as to who Dino is for those in our listening audience that do not know. Dino's been in the industry, in the real estate industry, for 19 years. Uh, he's had countless amounts of gold and platinum production teams over those years. Uh, right now, he is the executive broker for Keller Williams in Monmouth County and parts of Ocean County. He's on the board of directors with the Monmouth County Board of Realtors, Monmouth Ocean County Board of Realtors. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, he's got about 1,500 real estate agents that really roll up under him from an executive broker standpoint. Now, aside from that, did I miss anything, Dino? Mm. Uh, that's enough <laughs> for now. Uh, I forgot to mention he's tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that. I'll take that. So, uh, Dino, tell us a little bit about it being an executive broker. What does that involve? Uh, um, so what, what happened is, I, you know, we kind of stumbled on the opportunity. My mother is the broker owner of the company. And, okay, starting in 2003, there were 10 of us. And then I was... I taking out the trash and I was, you know, uh, answering the phones and then that I was a buyer's agent and then I transitioned over to, to focus on listings and then I, uh, I don't know what happened. So we have, as a as the company grew from 10 of us to 1500 plus, so it was about seven years ago, I think I was getting uh, yeah, transferred to Dino, his last name, the same last name. So that's how it started. And over... I'd say the past four to five years, really, um, as I got more involved in the board, uh, and I, a few years ago, seven, 2017, I was installed as a director, and then uh, before that, I was on. The, I'm still on the MLS committee for like the past seven years, approximately six or seven years, and uh, it was a strategic planning committee for Monmouth Ocean Regional Realtors, and. Essentially, that gave me a good background because I was able to hear all the rules and regs. And, and of course, our industry is like, it, it's always changing. There's sure. always a, a different dynamic, especially with technology. It, it's, it's, <laughs> we talk about going back to 2003, Realtor.com had just come into the scene. No one knew how to use it. Not even, right. you know, my mom was the listing agent back then. No, nobody in, in the industry knew how to use it. So I would go from the back end and I got all the Realtor.com leads the buyer leads because no one else knew what to do with them. So anyway, so, but now we go from that one source of internet buyer leads that turned into then, well, now who doesn't go on their, on their mobile device, on their phone right. and look and, and just hit, okay, well, there's 50 houses around me active and pending and all the data is right in front of you. Mm -hmm. So with that comes changes in how we handle the industry ethically, how we deal with each other, how we deal with mm. uh, clients, with sellers and buyers. And so as that is ever changing, I became the liaison to communicate a lot of that information. And uh, since we're going from office to office, so what, one of the things I do is try to go from office to office and, and just, you know, basically take what I learned. Hey, this is changing, guys. This is what's happening. Mm. This was just voted in. This was... Et cetera, et cetera, and just try to like just educate and inform. And that went from an accident to now a passion, and that's really what happened. So, sure. 
Well, I mean, you look at the past 19, 20 years that you've been in the industry, the biggest change has been technology over the course of that time frame. Yeah. So when you look at some of the, I wouldn't say complaints, but some of the issues that pop up in your world, sure. where do you see a lot of those coming from? Consumer standpoint, broker standpoint, agent standpoint? So our number one, like the one of the number one issues that we deal with, of course, is agent to agent. And... Unfortunately, the pie got really small. Um, it was joking. I pulled the stats. Mammoth Ocean Regional. They sent out their uh, um, their stats yesterday, and so we were actually talking about this. Hold on, uh, I'm gonna have to grab these. I can't see. <laughs> you look good in glasses. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> but uh, we, Joe, we we're talking about it from 2021 year over year to 2022 for the month of February. There's actually 39 and a half, like basically 40 percent fewer. Uh, listings than they were a year ago. Now, of course, wow. the, the median sale price went up five and a half percent. But then when you look at even the condo market in Monmouth County, I, I mean, there's 53% fewer listings than there were a year ago. Sure. And, and now... Um, so how, how's that impacting the consumer? How's it impacting the agent? Well, so now we went... I was saying we went at... The peak of the market in 2006, well, let's just say January 1 of 2007, back then we were Monmouth County Association of Realtors. Um, we had, I think it was 12,500 or 12,600 okay. agents. Now we're, well, then, of course, going back to, let's say, the bottom, which was like, let's say, January 1 of 2013, we had uh, lost a significant, almost half of the agents. We were down mm -hmm. to like 6,500 agents. After and the crash and like going on, right? Okay. Exactly from the crash, from as we lost agents year over year, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, ten, mm -hmm. eleven, twelve, uh, and we didn't really see any recovery till twenty thirteen. Um, but from twenty thirteen through now, we went from literally a little over six thousand agents to now fifteen thousand plus agents. Wow! In in Monmouth and Ocean County as members of our board, and also now you basically more than double the amount of agents, but you take half of the inventory, well, the pie is only so big. Right. So we have a lot of agents. So number one issue we deal with is like procuring cause, who's entitled to what client, who met who first. And for the average layman, uh, home buyer, yeah. that maybe listen to this, what does procuring cause mean? So procuring cause is really just the, the definition of is it who who procured the sale, who began the sale, who was who who created the desire in that buyer to purchase the home. Mm -hmm. And so typically that is awarded to the agent who spoke with the buyer initially and brought them into the home and toured the home and said, oh, do you want to buy this house? And at that point, they, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. That's usually, so now, of course, it's very rare that it would be awarded to an agent who didn't show the house first. Makes sense. So, uh, well, unfortunately, because in this market, <laughs> they'll just call they'll just call whoever will answer the phone mm. it's oh i'm sorry craig i know you weren't available at four so at 401 i just called whatever number i could find and i had that agent bring me to the house because i wanted to get in right out and so yeah and you know from the led. consumer standpoint 
you kind of see it, right? So right. there's such a frantic, frantic mad dash right. Right. to get in to see properties because there's such yeah, limited yeah. inventory, to your point, Dino. Exactly. That they're just picking up the phone and calling someone else. Right. So this has created animosity between agents and brokers. Mm. And of course, you know, so I try to go in whenever there's these situations and try to be sensitive to both sides. Sure. But the rules are the rules. And so we kind of get stuck with that a little bit. And I would think that, you know, when fun. you look at the amount of agents, it's basically doubled yeah. in what, a five-year time frame, Dino? Uh, about uh, eight, eight to 10, let's say 10. Eight to 10 yeah. years, there's experience issues in there as well, right? I mean, someone oh, like yourself yeah. has been doing it for 20 years, but yeah. you know, kind of know how to play nice in the sandbox and facilitate the transaction. Right. But you look at the influx of people that have come in even in the past three years, that's got to create some challenges. Well... So for the newer agents, especially um, right now, we're going right, it's two years ago, right? COVID lockdown started two years mm -hmm. ago. I mean, people were stuck home. Everyone went and got their real estate license. Why not? I could do it online. Right. Anyway, so we saw a major increase in, in uh, licensing over the past two years. And now um, they don't know because this is the only market they know is the insane market. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, COVID came out in March, mid-March. We were in lockdown. It was March 17th. And then now move forward. No one showed houses in March. We weren't allowed, right? And mm -hmm. then, well, April came. And then I think in May, Governor Murphy said we're essential workers. So, okay, fine. Um, so we sat home for a couple of months, and a lot of people went and got their license. And so basically, basically since May or June of 2020, those influx of agents – that came into the industry, literally a few thousand in our county, mm. uh, in Monmouth and Ocean counties. Well, they don't know any different. Mm -hmm. They don't know any differently. This is the only market they've ever experienced. Sure. So now you look, if you've been in the industry for, you know, uh, more than 10 years, and go, you know, for me approaching 20, I know that this too shall end. I mean, this too shall pass. You know, sure. this is a short, this is a short period of time. I mean, maybe it'll be a year, maybe it'll be five years, but we will go back and it'll the market will correct itself, regulate itself. I think from a consumer standpoint too, it's hard to even vision how much work goes into that, oh, yeah. right? To make sure that you're balancing all the relationships. I mean, you and I were talking earlier today. Yeah. You have a listing that's on the market. How many offers did you get on it? 29. <laughs> and 29 times you have to pick up the phone and call every agent. Speak with every agent, right. reply to every email. Sure. And, uh, you know, it, so I was in one of the... <laughs> The not fun parts is that, you know, we get into this job and so, of course, I enjoy my relationships. One of the reasons why I got involved in the board, of course, is because I used to go to like every event. I went to like every, and quite honestly, initially it was, ah, there's Well, a you're a fun guy, Dino. I'm a fun guy. I like that fun. <laughs> so we go and, oh, there's a spring fling and, oh, there's a networking event. There's a networking event. and network who? Anyway, we go and I, I used to love to go to all the events. And then it was, hey, hey, can you be on a committee? So, well, with that, so the positive part about going to all the events is now you're building relationships with other agents sure. and other brokers in the industry. And so, well, I, over now 19 years, I've, I've made some really great relationships. Other agents, other brokerage, brokers, I mean, who are technically competing brokerages, but I have great relationships with them. And so and we have mutual respect and, and, you know, go out and you can actually have a drink with these guys and, and, and girls. And, and so... There's the relationship. So even when it comes to the issues, I think, okay, I've known this this agent or broker for X amount of years, and I'd like to continue to have a friendship with them for the next 10 years. Sure. So um, so I act accordingly. It's I'm not looking to burn bridges. Mm -hmm. A lot of agents who've gotten into the industry over the past couple of years, they don't have that 
hindsight, oh, wow, they don't have 10-year relationships. They sure. don't have 15-year relationships. They can't see 15 years into the future. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do anything else. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I'm sucked in, right? Uh, Right. So it, it is what it is. So now knowing that I have, I've made myself in this industry, like mentally, I have no plan B. This is how we're, this is what we're doing for the rest of our lives. Right. And so I have to maintain my relationships, try to play, you know, play by the rules, try to encourage all our agents to play by the rules and respect each other. And, uh, well, that's a big part of how this all plays out. Yeah. And you know what? You serve as a great mentor, uh, regionally and in the industry. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Everybody likes you, Dana. Uh, usually, most <laughs> almost everybody likes me. So, but you, that goes back to so right. We have twenty nine offers. Twenty eight people got bad news. Right. So part of my job that I do enjoy is the personal fulfillment of hey, you know, years ago it used to be oh, oh, you got the house you love. It's, oh, they're happy and they call me and they tell me how happy they are and they're inviting me to barbecues and well, I just had to give bad news to twenty eight agents. Right. Who right. really wanted that? Oh, my buyer loves this house, and right. plus know. empathetic to the buyer. You mm-hmm. know, we weren't went downstairs when I was when Dino was coming up here, and he was running a little bit late. So as we usual, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling Nick, the producer, I go, he's going to run five minutes late. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, anyway, we we're having a conversation about the buyers and how you yeah. feel bad about all these people that want yeah. this house, but you just can't facilitate it. No, there's not enough inventory and. And so, you know, that, that's that's not the fun part right. at all. And it's actually, you know, that goes against, you said there's the personal fulfillment aspect of, well, you made families happy. And even in a bad market, you eh, the seller would take less than they wanted. You rewind 10 years ago. Seller took less than they wanted to get. Buyer paid maybe a little bit more because they were, all oh, we're in a declining market and I should be able to get more of a discount. Well, at the end of the transaction, everybody was happy sure. and the buyers are happy. Oh, I got this house I love and I'm going to raise my family. Well, now they don't love it because it now many times what we're hearing is that there's not, uh, even when they do close, there's a buyer's remorse and mm. I overpaid. So they're bitter toward this product because it's a product. Sure. You know? See, um, I have a question for you about yeah. that. So I know historically when you put a house on the market, yeah. a $500,000 house on the market, buyers are going to come in, they're going to be under that by a certain percentage, right? normal market. Historically. <laughs> so when you look at a market like this one, what percentage of properties do you think are going for over the asking price? Oh, it was like 101% or something like that. It was, let's say the stat, the latest stats were, I mean, it's like 99.8%, you know, you're, you're getting at asking price or better. Wow. So that changed, so that changed. And so, we, you know, when I speak with sellers uh, a lot and, and coaching agents, you always think of the list prices. Well, that's part of the strategy because years ago we would list intentionally 5% over market value, even at the time mm-hmm. to then build in two to three price reductions. So you go back to 20, 2010 and we would go at, at the kitchen table, Well, we're going to do a price reduction on day 21. We're going to do a price reduction on day 37 mm-hmm. and, and then, okay, and I'm going to do a broker open house on day 30 and then we're going. And so, after about 90 days, we should have an offer mm-hmm. at about what we think the market value should be. But it's probably going to be 5 to 10% less than market value, and we're going to negotiate that back up. Mm-hmm. And be, Oh, my God, people, oh, but I but I paid X amount. And, sure. Oh, I paid, and, and theoretically, I paid $100,000, and now it's only worth 90. Mm-hmm. Exponentially, now, the so number gets Statistically, <laughs> when you when you look at that, right? so we know that houses are selling for over 
asking price right. statistically right now. And you had mentioned something about that process in a normal market where right. hey, maybe there's a price reduction, right. open house, broker open. Right. I when you look at it right now, we're obviously not seeing that. So where do you see it going? So now the fun part begins because now there's a lot of things going on in the world. Uh, everything from right increasing interest rates, rising gas prices, inflation, the war in Ukraine. How that how that's going? To, it, it it's not a matter of if, it will affect us. Right. So now what happens? So when will it hit us? Well, because of the eh, shortage of inventory, the price will remain high in 2022. There's no there's no way around it. Sure, there are, just aren't enough. Mm -hmm. uh, there aren't enough homes for the amount of buyers. But at some point, maybe it's 18 months from now. Maybe it's two years from now. Probably my I believe approximately about then. Mm -hmm. So spring of 2024, going into 2025, the market will have to correct itself. Right. There's no way. Well, it, it'll so. be interesting to see. And kind of going back before about the process, before I, before I lost my train of thought before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> before I threw you off. Before uh, I, no, I before I lost up. my train of thought. Yeah. Is, you know, how many days on market? You had mentioned uh, three months, 90 days before right. a first offer came in in a regular market. Statistically, uh, what is that today? Don't we get offers right away? So, so and from the time it goes on the market, how fast does it sell and close? Oh, so, it rewind. So for fun, days on market ten years ago wasn't days on market; it was months on market. Right. <laughs> it was, right. So ten years ago, you didn't even want to be the first agent. You wanted to be the. You wanted to get a listing that expired twice, so that you were agent number three. So you were looking at realistically somewhere. <laughs> It's so horrible. I can't even fathom this as I'm saying it. It used to be somewhere between 14 to 16 months on the market. Wow. A market value, right? You, oh, I thought I priced it correctly, or the sellers wanted to touch more. Well, now we 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 do coming soon advertising, um, which is funny because I I actually looked on Facebook a Facebook memory in 2013. I did a coming soon advert like ad on Facebook. I didn't even know what I was doing. I stole the <laughs> idea from somebody else, right? Right. Like in Arizona, I think. Anyway, I heard about it, so I did it. <laughs> um, so, but now going forward, so we market the house. We have seven days prior to we can actually start showing it as a quote-unquote coming soon. So now it's coming soon, and we're getting offers sight unseen. Wow. So technically you're at zero days on market, and you're getting offers sight unseen. Right. Now, as the pandem pandemic is waning... And people are comfortable going back into houses again, and we're in. You know, I, I'm I'm in uh, in belief. Most agents are encouraging their sellers. Hey, we really want buyers to actually see the home before mm -hmm. accepting their offer, right. because they come in. And I even I'll be honest. Even one of our buyers went, you know, they put, oh well, oh I need this house sight unseen, and oh then when they actually saw it, <laughs> they didn't like it, and then they back out of the deal. <laughs> Shocker. Oh, I can't believe the pictures were nicer than the house. I can't believe that. How's that, that possible? Oh, my God. Right? Anyway. It's all about the angle. <laughs> it's all about the angle. <laughs> it's great. But the reality is, what do you do with that? So, right. uh, you know, but average days on market, we, we try. Ethically, I really would like to give every, every potential buyer, you know, an opportunity to see the home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, putting a home on the market. Uh, you know, that way a full weekend can go through a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, so that everyone can see it is really the the most fair way to, to work with sure. it. But that gives you three to four days on the market. Five, I mean, in all fairness, you should really, I would prefer giving seven full days, but 
I don't get to dictate. You know, mm. There's no industry standard there. But then you have some theory. They just, oh, I'll take the first offer that comes through because it's amazing and shut it down. Right. Um, and then stealing it from your paper from the time it yeah. goes on the market to closing is, oh, what, 38 days? Yeah. Yeah. That's fast. It's, that's super fast. Well, part of it is the efficiency of the process, though. Right. Because... That's a good you point. Know, how, how quickly can you get a mortgage done now? Yeah. You know, if Fast. you, if your buyer, and if your buyer's prepped, and instead of just talking to them, and, you know, and there's no more, you know, they give you, oh, I make I make X amount of money. Well, now you're, you're vetting all their information. And sure. So now before they, the buyers now were more aware that they should be financially prepared. So they're walking into a house. Their tax returns are already at your underwriter's desk. Mm-hmm. And so- you can you put an offer in, and they fill out the application, and they're moving forward yeah. like fast and furious. Yeah. Um, and You're right. Course, I mean, the process, the mortgage process, and understanding that mortgage process, how to stay ahead of it. Yeah. Right to make it facilitate in that time frame. So it's, it's a lot quicker. different than it was in 2006. It was just a little little bit different uh, from a market standpoint. Right. You know, I was reading something today. When you go back to 2006, because we were both in the industry, and we can remember yeah. when prices were going up. Right. I, I get the question a lot, well, are values going to continue to go up? And you were speaking to this a little bit earlier. And, and I would say the answer is probably yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I had mentioned this last week on the podcast that every index is indicating the fact that property values are going to go up this yeah. year. Oh, yeah. Big picture. I got some great stats. Here, let me pull out my piece of paper. Go for it. Let's see. Let's see. All right, wait. Wait till you see this. (laughs) So in the New York metropolitan area, which is really where where we're at, the suburban, but still New York metropolitan area, from 2020 to 2021, real estate values are up 21%. Right. 2012 to 2019, they were up 26%. Right. So when you add that up, that's about 10 years. That's up 46%, right? But what it doesn't hedge for is what happened between 2006 and 2012. Correct. The market dropped 25%. There was an overcorrection. Yep. There's an overcorrection to the market, which isn't normal. Because I hear all the time, I'm going to wait till the market drops. And it's not, that was unusual. That's never happened before. That was bad. And my point being is over that 15-year time frame from 2006 to 2021, real estate's up. 21%, 21%, which is 1.5% per year, which is kind of underneath what the long-term appreciation right. has been historically over 50 years, right? right. You'd expect that to be what, 3%? Approximately, right, 3 to 4, anywhere in there is normal. So, and even, and that was New York metropolitan area. When you look at everything in the 10 biggest metropolitan markets in the country, numbers are all the same. Right. So, yeah, values are up a lot over the course of the past couple of years, but we got all that appreciation back in right. two years. Right. But statistically, over a 15-year time frame, it's not that up that significantly. That's key. You know, and something else interesting is in, from 1996 to 2006, property values were up over 100%. Right. You, rem- you remember. I do. I mean, I up do. over 100%. Some markets, it was up almost 200%. Mm-hmm. So if it's, 100, if it's 100% over a 10-year time frame, that's 10% per year during that time frame. Right. Time frame we're in right now, it's 1.5%. Right. I think we got room to go so, up still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right? So we'll we'll see. I, that's why I, I, I'm sure. 2022, the prices will continue to rise. 2023, probably continue to rise. 
where they level. And even when we do see, a, I use the word correction because I don't think it's going to be a crash. No, I don't think anyone believes that there's going to be a crash. Mm-hmm. It'll just be a correction. So the only challenge that comes into play now with inflation on everything else and, well, did everyone's you know, income go up that much? Mm-hmm. Right, did, did the buyer average buyer income? So we look at, of course, is one of the reasons we were talking about earlier. There's average sale price and then median sale price. What, what's the regular person? What, what are we buying? You know, if the median sale price for a specific town is four hundred and fifty thousand or five hundred thousand, well, was the average person in that town? How much are they making to afford that? And so, as you go from town to town and you really break it down micro, uh, microeconomically, yeah. it's like okay, well. At what point does it become unaffordable? And that's usually right. That's the breaking point. That's great. And point. so it'll 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 correct itself just to meet that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's I mean the job market's relatively strong. I mean right there's employment yeah. everywhere, so that's fine. So well, let's see how all these other factors play out. And uh, they're they're gonna one of them is gonna or two of them will they'll kick us in the butt maybe a little bit and, we'll, <laughs> we'll, and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Right. So, but whether it comes to the buyer that's looking, quite, oh, should I buy now? Should I wait? I don't know that waiting is the answer. I don't think so. Especially if you're renting. If you look oh, at the no. graph for renting, rents never go down. No. You look from 1988 to today. Oh. I mean, with some maybe a couple years of flattening yeah. in rate. Nick, this is good. Write this down. Yeah. There's a little bit of flattening in rate. Nick is our producer. You might remember him from last week. I. Uh, a little bit of flattening, but they go up every year, yeah. year after year. It never makes sense. It never does. It never, ever. Even if you buy high and you get, high, well, in theory, stuck in your house, it's still yours. You can still do improvements. Right. You can still put the deck on. You can still paint the house purple if you want to. Good, tell, good luck telling your landlord, hey, I want to paint everything. You can use gardening for therapy. Yeah, you can, right. You can, <laughs> <laughs> I use gardening for therapy, yes. It's like there's nothing like getting connected. Right? So, yeah, you, right. You can do whatever you want to your, your land, your house. You can't do that in someone else's house. And, and if you have a landlord, it's someone else's house. Yeah, no question. Uh, so that's you know? huge. So no, they, I, it's never a bad time to buy. Yeah. And, like we've talked about before, you're either paying your mortgage or right, you're or paying, someone, yeah, right? Someone else's mortgage. That's it. That's and, it. And that's all right. I mean, and the only time I do believe in renting is if you're in between, if you're in an in-between phase, you're not sure... Oh, I sold my house, and I'm not sure if I'm moving to Florida or the Carolinas or California. Well, okay, that, that's fine to move. I mean, to to move into a rental, as long as you understand as a consumer that it's not lo- it's not a good decision long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, renting renting is you know using rental properties is a good transition. That's fine. I mean, it's a transition period. It shouldn't be your home. It shouldn't be sure. your home forever. This is never really your home. Right. So. I shifted gears a little bit. So I was in a meeting yesterday at about 50, with about 50 real estate agents, and we're talking about, well, how's the best way for you to have your offer accepted? What does the buyer look for? What does the seller look for? You know, what are the key components? Uh, you know, a couple of things that, and you being a, an expert listing agent, if you have a house on the market, what do you want to see for, from an offer that's coming over to you? So... Unfortunately, some people want to buy because they're caught up in the moment, but they're not really financially ready to buy. Right. So it's, oh, I know I should buy, but I didn't save any money. Uh, I know I should buy, but, you know, well, that's our number one issue is down payment. So in addition to the price, 
because sellers, of course, are attracted by a high price. Uh, my house is, in theory, market value is a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Oh, someone offered me one hundred five. Well, in you know, multiply exponentially, but okay. So I'm getting five percent over market value. That's great. Well, it's the listing agent's job to wait, hold on a second. Let's look. Well, um, they can't close for four months, and uh, they have they're putting no money down or three percent down, and so now they they become a great number. It looked really attractive up front, but now, well, versus versus a buyer that has twenty twenty five percent down, well, sure. then okay, they're they're a safer bet. And then we ask for proof of funds. Well, can you of course waive the inspection or? Uh, contingency? Can you waive the appraisal contingency? Well, are they financially capable of doing that? Mm-hmm. So that that's come into play as well. And uh, so to attack proof of funds for a second, all right, I'm buying a house. Yeah. So and mm. all of a sudden, my real estate agent is asking me, "Yeah, show me your money." Yeah. Like, what do you mean, show me your money? You don't trust uh, me? No, I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just it's become a norm, right, yeah. in the market that we're in right now. Well, be, what we see, oh, so in addition, so we see the pre-approval, right? So we get a, I, I, I get an offer with the pre-approval attached mm-hmm. from Greg Wareham. Oh, I know. Okay, I know him. I trust him. That's good. But oh wait, they're putting down a hundred and something thousand. They're putting down two hundred thousand dollars. I'm the first one to call Greg and say, okay, well, I'm going to call you. Do they have this in the bank? Right. And then I'm a little, you know, now as we go higher and higher in numbers, and you're now you're looking at an eight hundred thousand, a million dollar home, one and a half million. I keep going. Well, they're telling me they're putting down eight hundred thousand dollars. Well, can you prove? And if you're not comfortable giving it to me, just let just let you know. The moment we go into attorney review, I'm, uh, our seller's attorney is going to ask to see like your bank statement. Right. And that's. Um, you know, do you have that money? Is it liquid? Can you can you like afford to cover the spread? You know, right. when when the house under appraises. Can well, you, and, and that's another good point. So another, it's not going to appraise. <laughs> well, and that's another norm that we've been seeing in this industry, which is unusual, or in this market, which is right. unusual, is the waiving of the appraisal. What used to be something that you yeah. never saw in the mortgage process, in the real estate process, was we're waiving whatever the value of the property comes in at. Right. And now you have to. You have to do it, right? Yeah, you Dan? have to. You have to. So when a buyer goes forward, and also be, you know, I tell buyers and 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 all of our agents to be specific with their terms, mm-hmm. because when a, a buyer's agent says, "Okay, we're waiving the inspections," no, you're really not, because right. the buyer is still legally entitled to do an inspection. Right. So you waive. You can waive the inspection contingency, meaning that okay, you'll do the inspection, but whatever you find wrong. You're still taking the house as is. Mm-hmm. But I would never, even as a listing agent, I would never encourage the buyer's agent and their buyer to to not do an inspection. You gotta have That's an nonsense. Inspection, right. So, and then, okay, well, if we do the inspection, what are we finding? What are the terms? Well, if the house, <laughs> they find out there's, you know, something structurally wrong, well, that would be, that'd be kind of important. Right. That, that may be a deal breaker. Uh, the house is sinking, mm-hmm. right? The house has cracks in the beam. Um, so there's a structural, right? You put in the caveat. Okay. Well, it's as ex- it's as is. We're taking it as except for structural. Well, there's also env- environmental factors that should absolutely come into play. And even as a listing agent, it, that's completely acceptable. If the mm-hmm. house has a below ground oil tank, that's an mm-hmm. environmental issue. Yep. It really, I mean, no one wants to be stuck with that without insurance. If the house has mold. 
that's right. an environmental issue that's really uh, really common. Mention, you can't get a mortgage on it. <laughs> right. And right. it's really Without common. Remediating. And right. And even if even if you got covered, somebody painted the wall, it's fresh, they couldn't find it. Well, you're moving into that. You and your kids are gonna right. be breathing that in in a few months. Sure. So that those are things again we shouldn't be waiving. The environmental, some attorneys try to stick in the uh, mechanical, but I'm very, uh, when I, I'm, I'm, mm, I'm the idiot that reads all, uh, read, I read everything. So it comes through. And, <laughs> You're the answer guy. Yeah, I'm yeah. the answer guy. So I look and, oh, they stuck in mechanical. Well, I define mechanical. Oh, just the furnace and AC. Well, there's not, then put furnace and air conditioning because mm -hmm. mechanical means anything that moves. Right. It's if it's if it's a machine, it's mechanical. So they don't anyway. So I get caught up in semantics sometimes, um, but just a, a couple of things with clarity yeah. on that for any potential home buyers that mm -hmm. are listening to this is what Dino's saying in reference to your inspection if you're buying a house isn't that you should waive your inspection. You want to know if there's anything major wrong with the right. property. That's right. However. In, in the old days, and I'll define the old days as three years ago, right. at this stage, you know, there would, when you had an inspection done as a home buyer, you get this laundry list of things that you'd send back to the seller's attorney. Your attorney would send it back to the seller's attorney saying, I want everything fixed. You know, those type of ticky tack things. Those things are done. You can't do it anymore. Can't do so it's got to be major. The faucet leaks. You know what? Wake up early on Saturday morning and fix it. Come on. <laughs> you know, I really. So no one wants to be arguing. No one wants to argue over that, those right. minor issues. They're really honestly even before, uh, even before the pandemic, before the market shifted in this direction, those were still annoying arguments. <laughs> there <laughs> you was, get a six-page report oh, on everything. I was one of. The, I get the like really. You're really asking the toilets loose. Do you know it's two screws. It's two screws. Give me a break anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, sorry about that. I'm that the was the house yeah. I was buying. With. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're so frustrated, right? It's nonsense. We could fix that like easy. So, but there are major concerns, and one of the reasons why I always encourage buyers and buyers agents focus on the big stuff because you know what you can get really caught up in a lot of the nonsense. And it distracts you from your major issues. Sure. And so, uh, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. That That's applicable to a lot of different areas in life, not sure. just including the housing market. So now going forward, okay, so they're waiving the inspection contingency. Now, you know, be careful with your words. You're not waiving inspections. Mm. You're not. You're not waiving your right to do an inspection. You're waiving the appraisal contingency. You're not waiving the right. You, the bank said you still have to do an appraisal. You're not waiving the appraisal. Right. Unless you're buying cash. You right. want to buy cash? Then stick the word contingency in there, because when you read the contract, and I have a number, my number one issue, my number one issue as a broker is if this is our profession, take an hour or two and read through a contract with a highlighter. Put your put your readers on. <laughs> I can't see anymore. And, <laughs> you borrowed and read mine. it, right? I borrowed yours. So and read through and know what you're getting a buyer to sign. Yeah. Well, I, you're you're going to ask someone to invest, basically their life savings, their their. Their biggest financial purchase. I mean, you're morally and ethically obligated to to read the stupid thing that you're making them sign. Know what it says. You know, and I think that some things that can get overlooked there is right. a purchase, a contract of sale to right. purchase a property right. is a legal document. It's a legally binding document. And so, and I bring that up because, you know, Monmouth and most of Ocean County, we use attorneys. So there's an attorney review period, but I've done... Yeah, I've done a handful of deals uh, over the years where we didn't use an attorney. Mm -hmm. And so the contract was binding the way it was after three days. Right. And while, it, you know, the onus is on me. If I sold my house, if I sold my buyers a bad house 
or if I listed a product that, you know, it's on me and right. I, I didn't read the fine print. Mm -hmm. Well, it's our job as realtors to, to know the fine print. Sure. I mean, really, you owe it to your clients to do that. So, and no I don't think it's a big deal, you know, and now as over the years have come on, one of the things you ask, oh, what do I do as the executive broker? There have been a lot of documents added um, <laughs> over the years and some of them amended, some of them made longer, everything from the, the contract used to be, I think it was 10 or 11 pages. Now it's, what is it, 13? It's 13 pages now. They added, right, so they added a lot of things in there. Mm -hmm. So if this is your profession, you should read it. You should right. know. Before you ask a buyer to sign it, you should know what's in there. That's you a great should be point. able to swing it around and explain it to them upside down because you've read it so many times that you know this. So we do that, and what, well, you're asking them to sign this addendum. Well, what does it say? You know, oh, well, the Homeowners Association, well, oh, well, it's X amount of dollars per month. Well, is it going up? And anyway, so uh, I'm getting, now I'm going off in the deep end, but essentially what it is is that we're – we, as our in our profession, we should be reading and knowing. We're not attorneys, but we should have a base knowledge of what uh, you know, what these contracts are yeah. saying, and guiding our clients accordingly, sellers and buyers, and say this is what this means. Yep. You should you should speak with your attorney for further clarification. But this is in general what it means. And so one of the going back to I went off in a tangent a little bit, but I'll bring it right back. Again, there's an appraisal contingency in the contract. Um, so if the house, you know, you purchase a house for $100,000 and it appraises at 97, 97000 do you legally have the right to renegotiate that $3,000? Or are you waiving the right to renegotiate that? And, okay, well, if underpraised, do you have to, you should speak with your lender. Do you, mm -hmm. do you have, well, do you have the extra funds to the extra $3,000 that you need plus and, and keep your rate that you locked in at plus, right, whatever yeah. the case may be from your angle. Yeah, and that's a great point. Just to piggyback on that from your mortgage process standpoint is when you waive the appraisal, if you're doing a mortgage, you can never waive an appraisal that the bank needs done that's Correct. lending the money. Right. You can waive your appraisal to the seller, which essentially means if the value of the property comes in lower than what you're paying for it, that you're not going to renegotiate. Correct. And just because it comes in lower, a couple things happen. You may have to make up the difference. Mm -hmm. As an example, mm -hmm. you're paying 500, 525000 for a house. Property appraises for 500000 You have to make up that $25,000 difference. Right. Option one. Option two is depending on how much money you were looking to put down, you may just be able to finance that 25000 and it just per, it just changes the percentage of the value of the property that you're borrowing. That's right. So there's a lot of solutions to these things, and they're not all deal killers, but mm -hmm. you know, to your point before, kind of necessary in the marketplace if you're going to have any shot of finding right. a property. Right. So I'm going to switch from the factual to my opinion now. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, there's... Oh, this is where, where it gets good. This is where it gets juicy. No, it doesn't get really that juicy. In my opinion, you know what? If you negotiate the price of anything, a car, a house, your iPod, it doesn't matter, right? Whatever the case may be. You, you decided... I didn't know you could negotiate your iPod. I don't know, whatever. I like how you roll, Dana. Uh, yeah, I'm negotiating everything. <laughs> I'm negotiating it. Give me, I'll give you 10 bucks. I'll give you 10 bucks. <laughs> you want um, me shirt? Yeah, right? 15. You, your glasses. I want your readers. <laughs> five bucks. I'll give you five bucks. <laughs> but you negotiate. But well, after you come to an agreement... I, I I personally, whether it's a, a strong seller's market or a buyer's market, I like the appraisal waiver, the appraisal contingency concept, because you already agreed on a price. You right. should give up your rights to renegotiate later on. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, you know, the inspection is different. 
Mm, but you know, there's certain things. That's why I always encourage every seller disclose, disclose, disclose. Oh, you had some water in your basement. Yeah. Tell them about it. Mm -hmm. They can't, well, they find out later on, they're either going to back out of the deal or try to negotiate money out of sure. it. Oh, you know, this is broken or this is, you know, whatever. Your furnace is 47 years old. You should let them know because realistically <laughs> they, they're probably going to have to replace that in two weeks. So, uh, you, it's disclose, about the transparency, disclose. yeah. Right. So if you're transparent, the as a seller, you you eliminate the buyer's right to renegotiate in a sense, and that's fair. The only thing I don't like is, and this is my opinion, is when well, you're renegotiating later on. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't feel right when it's well what you're just trying as the buyer's trying to get away with. Sure. You know, because, sure. well, we already agreed on this. I mean, at the end of the day, it seems like the most seamless transactions are the ones in which buyer, seller, the attorneys involved and the agents involved have, feel some sort of fiduciary responsibility to right. each other. Correct, yeah. Right? And you do everything with transparency. I agree with that. I agree with that. So, Dino, in the market that we're in right now, does the type of financing matter when you look at conventional loans, VA loans, FHA loans, like as a as a listing agent, what are you more? What's more friendly? So, we'll, unfortunately, we uh, you know every listing agent uh, who's had any kind of experience has some fear about VA and FHA. Mm -hmm. So we talked about that basically with the VA. With the, of course, the buyer doesn't have to put any money down. The seller's perception is well, they have no skin in the game, right? Then, of course, with VA and FHA, there's all kind of stipulations to the house itself. You know, God forbid, there's a you know, railing a, missing, right? Railing missing, broken. a window's broken. Uh, what you know, there's some paint that chipped in the back of the deck, but it's it chipped, so you got to repaint the whole deck, right? So, mm -hmm. there's all these things that sellers are afraid of. Years later, I'm not afraid of them because essentially I could tell the seller, hey, these are some of the things that we're going to get, um, <clears throat> that are going to be just stipulations that to get the deal done. So, uh, and we can just avoid that. We can even make the buyer pay. In this market, you can say, hey, these are the things that we know we're going to have to do. Mm -hmm. It's on you. We're disclosing that these things have to be done, and it's on you. So now, the only thing that is that is a fear is that in this market, with a buyer that may be paying more is a low appraisal, and right? Because VA and FHA, it has to sell at what it appraises at. Yeah, great point. So, that's, so that's, it, uh, it makes it stickier. So it doesn't necessarily have to sell for what it's appraising at, it's it's kind of more. They generally on those types of loans, we're just not putting a lot of money down, so there's right. a lot of money to work with. Right. But I would say we were talking a little bit off camera earlier about mm -hmm. VA loans, mm -hmm. and if someone does have, you can put zero percent down on a VA loan. It's one of the great things the government does do for veterans because all veterans should own a home, and right. I think we'd all agree with that. Yeah. Uh, even if they can put down some sort of earnest money deposit. Ten, fifteen thousand yeah. dollars to have skin in the game on it. They can always get that money refunded back right. at the closing, but it'll right. help get the offer accepted. Right, exactly. So we know that they're not just going to get up and walk. They can, of course, um, get, use it to pay their closing costs. They can they do all kind of whatever. You know, sure. get a check at closing that they can then use to buy furniture or whatever, paint the house with. So that, that's all well and good. I, I think that's really the best strategy if you're going to go. Uh, with a VA type loan or you know VA mm -hmm. or at FHA, any government funded. So I'm, I'm, that would be the only concern. The, the safest, the safety net for the seller is okay. Well, these buyers are putting down X amount of money. They're putting down X amount of money up front. They're bringing X amount of money to the closing table. So I mean, I've had I had a negotiation last weekend where 
well, the seller overpriced their a little, uh, overpriced their house a little bit, so uh, the seller didn't get full price. Multiple offers, not full price, which proves you can overprice the house in this market, um, which is fine. But now the, the key factor that came into play there was, well, they said, what is that? The listing agent told me I was representing the buyer. Hey, you know what? Your buyer's not putting enough money up front, like for their deposit in, in, in escrow. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> so, hey, buyer, I just won't say his name, but can you know what? Can we increase that down payment to like f- at least fifty thousand dollars? It was a big mm, purchase. Sure. Oh yeah, you did the loan. You did the loan. So anyway, sorry. So he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a nice guy. So it's hey, and he's like, yeah, sure, I have it. No problem. If that's going to make the difference, he was totally agreeable. But he he just he's like, yeah, all right, that's fine. I'm like, he's why? He's like, well, they just want to know that you're all in. They yeah. want to know you're all in. That the minute you find out the light bulb in the bathroom isn't working, you're not going to walk away. Right. We know, and that is a big deal because purchasing, as we all know, we've all bought, we've all bought. It is absolutely an emotional purchase. It's emotional roller coaster up and down. You got you win the bin, you win the bid, and multiple offers. Yay! I got it. Then there's the oh, but wait, oh, the house is great. Oh wait, but they found what in the home inspection? Oh, up and down. Then there's oh, I brought my family, and there's the excitement. Oh, we're gonna have we're gonna have Sunday dinner here, and I mean up and down and up yeah. and down. So while the buyer is going through these ups and downs, what guarantee does the seller have? Right. So as a buyer, what what things can you do to make the seller at ease? And again, we talked about earlier with transparency and open communication. Uh, that doesn't just apply to your marriage. That applies to your, <laughs> your relationship from buyer's agent to listing agent. It's okay. Well, you're married to the job. Yeah, yeah. You're right. We're married to the job. <laughs> That's true. No, no, he's married yeah. to you, Janine. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> so, but the key fact there is is you know what? There's nothing wrong with picking up the phone and calling the listing agent. Hey, what's the seller real looking for? Do they? Oh, oh, they need four months because they're moving to fill in the blank. Right. Well, oh, okay. Can we accommodate that? All right, great. That, that's a that's you know a plus sign in our favor, and so it's not just about the number. So there's plenty of other things that we can do to really eh, put them at ease, put yeah. that seller at ease. That you're not a, you're not walking away. You're not you're not going to have buyer's remorse, um, and that you're going to be accommodating to their needs and mm-hmm. and vice versa. And that just that that requires some type of communication. That requires a conversation. Sure. Well, I'd like to pick back up on this topic. Let's just take a quick break. All right. We'll come back to it. Cool. And we'll pick up in just a minute. All right. Sounds good. All right. Today's show was sponsored by the DeMauro Realty Group. They have seven locations in the Monmouth County and Ocean County area, located in Shrewsbury, Avon, Spring Lake, Jackson, Morganville, Homedale, and Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Best phone number to reach them at is area code 732 732- Seven seven one three eight eight one. Well, welcome back, everyone. As a reminder, we're here today with our guest, Dino Demoro. Thank you, I, Dino. I really appreciate you bringing that bottle of Makers in here. It was a good <laughs> halftime break that we had. <laughs> next time, next time. Right, right, right. Unfortunately, the answer is no. We weren't <laughs> drinking in between the set. <laughs> we should have, but we did not. <laughs> I wanted to pick up where we left off in reference to what makes a good offer for from a buyer for a potential seller. We had already touched base on the waiving the appraisal, waiving ma- non-major things with the inspection, right? Uh, down payment, mortgage type matters. Uh, how about I? How about a possible lease back? I had heard that 
the other day. So, yeah, that gets tricky. Okay. So one of the things, one of the number one factors that comes into play is you have, your, well, as a buyer, we're putting homes on market. We're putting offers in on homes. And, well, those sellers have to go somewhere. So sometimes we have the luxury of a seller that's already purchased. They know where they're going. They have a second home. Uh, their new construction will be built. That Those are all great scenarios. What about, well, we can't sell unless we buy. So there's that, um, it's referred to as a relocation contingency. Mm-hmm. Sellers, and you'll see it in sometimes public notes and agent or agent notes and if, in the MLS, um, contingent upon seller's firm relocation. We see that. Mm-hmm. That means. Now, do you yeah, think it? Do you think it helps if a buyer is coming in and saying to the seller, "Listen, I know you have a place you have to find or you have to move to. We'll lease back the property to you for sixty days, as an example." Right. So, well, there's two parts. Number one, the buyer. I'm sorry, the the seller can't buy because now they're now a buyer. They can't really buy. It's very difficult to buy with a home sale contingency. Well, when they're competing with cash offers and offers mm-hmm. without home sale contingencies. So, and home sale contingency point blank means I have to sell my home in order to purchase. Um, and you have to be transparent about that because, well, that's where the equity is coming from. Mm-hmm. So it's attractive to hear a buyer say, okay, we'll let you, we'll close on the property in 30 days or 45 days. And well, we'll close and you can live there and rent from us. Mm-hmm. Legally, you'll see the term... Uh, as a use in occupancy, you'll hear it referred to as a UNO. Attorneys do not like UNO. They, mm. they just don't, rightfully so, because there's insurance liabilities. Sure. There's potentially damage to the house. Well, what happens on, well, day 30-something um, when, you know, they, whatever, they burn the house down. That's always my, my favorite when attorneys bring that up, the worst-case <laughs> scenario. Uh, so you have that. And then, but more likely is, well, what happens if they don't find a house. Right. Well, they Good have point. the benefit of sitting in the house that you now own, and well, <laughs> and they're sitting. They have your money and your house. Right. <laughs> right. So it's very tricky. So attorneys that don't really point. like that for good reason. Okay. You can work that out if everyone has the best of intentions. It's mm-hmm. not. A, it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, it is attractive. Uh, but again, you have to convince multiple parties. You have to convince your seller it's a good thing to do. The buyer has to be convinced it's a good thing to do, and both mm-hmm. of their attorneys and realtors. So and a lot have, of moving parts. So there's six yeah. moving parts to that, right. and uh, it, it doesn't. It's a little. It's challenging. It, it it's not a bad idea by any means, mm. as long as everyone is um, going forward. Yep, makes sense. So, Next question for you. Mm-hmm. So you have an offer that comes in. And you have a mortgage pre-approval because every offer that should be being sent to you is a complete contract, right? not a partial contract, complete contract with a copy of a mortgage Mm pre-approval. Does the lender matter? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I hate to say it, we're local. I mean, like I said, we're doing this long enough here in Monmouth County. And so now I get, yesterday, get offers and I look at the contract, look at the addendums, look at the pre-approval. Oh, I know that lander. Oh, 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 yeah, I know. Okay, oh yeah, I know that company. Oh, they're they're right in Thomas River. Oh, they, you know they're right in Ocean County. Oh, these guys are right in Red Bank. These guys are right in Homedale. So those that absolutely matters because there's a level of accountability. Right. So I see your name on a pre-approval. 
I can I, I get the warm and fuzzies and I can call up and I can encourage my sellers, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, I just um, called the lender, verified these buyers are great, they, uh, they already have their tax returns in, or or even knowing because of the relationship with the lenders, hey, well, you know what? We didn't get this far. We've only got up to this point. Mm-hmm. And so um, I know I'll, I'll, I'll be able to keep that, commun- that those lines of communication open, which in turn will make my sellers feel better. Yeah, and you bring up such a great point, big picture on that, local, right? right. Local marketplace, right. local real estate agent, local attorney, local mortgage lender, local everybody. Mm-hmm. Because everyone's in the same community and right. everybody has skin in the game. It's very hard to hold an 800 number accountable. Oh, no. Yeah. And that's exactly the key, the, the accountability. So the accountability of a local lender is, well, I'm going to see you next month at the spring fling at the board party, right, at the networking event. I'm going to see you. You're going to, oh, well, you want to come and speak in my office? Well, remember when. Right. <laughs> Right, so right. there's definite local accountability versus you're right calling and I you know, look big big companies, big box companies. They're fine. They're, of course, we know that they have billions of dollars to lend out, and that's great. But there's no accountability. Right. So there's that you know there's that balance. So yeah. and you know at times they get have billions of dollars in advertising budgets too. They get factored into the rate to the consumer. That's right. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Right. So when I look at that as well, when working with the buyer. Is is that big bank going to give you the best deal, mm-hmm. and or they are there hidden fees in there, and so on and so forth? Sure. So that's okay. where that comes into play as well. Good stuff. So shoot, shifting gears to something else. So mm-hmm. at the break, Nick grabbed us, yeah. and Nick's a, he told me and Dina were too old, <laughs> and we didn't talk about technology enough. True, and how much it's changed right. the industry. Well, he, we right. are old. Yeah. We still look pretty good. Uh, thanks. I try. I we both know. have hair. Look at our hair. <laughs> I have full head of hair. <laughs> that still works. Very. It's getting very salt and pepper, but I still have hair. Yeah, it looks good. <laughs> thanks. I ended up with my hairstyle. I used to wear my hair spiky. That's right. I remember and, that. And one one day, my wife, what Rachel, came up to the bedroom and she put a, put a picture of the guy who plays Captain America. Okay. And she says that hair would look good on you. All right. Translation. That's your new hairstyle. <laughs> you need to do this. That's it. We did it. We implemented. I'm gonna. I'm a giver, Dino. That's right. As you, you know, it. I'm a giver. I'm a giver. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about technology. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and how much you were talking about 2003 with, I think it was Realtor.com first came online. Ironically enough, right. that's how I ended up in New Jersey for the mortgage company I was working at at the time up in New England. I got transferred down here mm. to work in a new project. Mm. And the new project was .com, okay. lending. That's how I ended up in New Jersey. All right. So what have you seen from a technology standpoint that have been some of the biggest changes in the industry? So, you know, now we're, so we're looking back from 20 years moving forward, the challenges have, have just grown. Well, and technology has helped us and hurt us. And in, with everything from, so jokingly, there's, but not jokingly, Realtor.com, they had, um, what was that program? Uh, my mom used to subscribe to it was like the featured homes featured homes right right so you could buy the featured homes and your listing would appear first at the top and okay that was great well that attracted buyer leads well with each change in technology we have to adapt and learn to it Mm -hmm. so then there's well all right you have a buyer mike smith from one two three main street whatever well, how do you convert that lead? Because you can't have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Because prior to that, what would we do? Buyers would drive by signs and call you, and you can actually have a conversation. Well, now we have an internet buyer 
well, I can't have a conversation with them, so what do I do? So we had to learn how to do that. Sure. Fast forward 10 years later, uh, what was it, 2015, 2016, Zillow became very relevant in mm-hmm. the marketplace. Extremely. I, I can remember being solicited by Zillow in 2008 okay. in my mortgage office because they wanted us to buy space because mm. they're really just known for a, a valuation company at that Correct. time. Correct, right. They weren't the, uh, the size they are today. Right. Anyway. No, no, you're right. So now they, from where they started, then, I mean, essentially what they are now, when you really boil it down, they're, they're a marketing company. Right. And so they market houses, pretty pictures, they, right? That's the first thing you see when mm-hmm. you go on your phone or your computer. They market the product. And then they give some basic information. Well, that has now grown into a whole... Di- they have dominated that industry Will they dominate it forever? Probably not. Uh, you know, who but, does? Right, who does? Right. So, but for now, they are very relevant in the marketplace because every buyer goes on. They look at the Zestimate. They look at all the. So, it's, you find it, the Zestimate accurate? So I never, I never poo-poo anything. I never downplay anything. Sure. It has its space in our world because, to be honest, it's a neighborhood average. So. It's, is it fine-tuned to be exact? No. But is it is it in a ballpark? It's usually in a ballpark. Right. So now it, sometimes it's high, sometimes it's low. As new comps come out, they readjust. But when you take, how do we arrive at market value? Well, right, you look at location, right? Is it a highway? Is it a main road? Is it a tertiary? Is it an inside street? Is it, an, is it at the end of a cul-de-sac? And so on and so forth. So... There's addition and subtraction in each one of those factors, square footage, amenities, and, and go forward and forward. Does it have a basement? Does it not? And so it, it's all an opinion of value. Mm-hmm. So what Zillow does, and, and well, in Zillow also, they purchase Trulia. Well, they come up with a, it's an approximate. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. Now, as a realtor, you need to fine tune that. And if you're a buyer or a seller, you should look at that and realize it's an, it's, it's an approximate value. It's a ballpark. And then you should speak with your professional and say, okay, how do we fine tune this number to come up with the actual? And then in this market, even then, well, we're all guessing a little bit because who knows where the, the buyer is going mm-hmm. to take it with, right? With 37, 38% yeah, less you know, inventory. It's a good tool, right? It's, it's a tool. Right? It's, it's a, a tool, tool like to use. Else. But I've always felt in this industry, mm-hmm. you can never replace the human being. Mm-mm. Because at the end of the day, right. you're the person who's going to go in the house, and you can see all the new things done to the house, right. and what makes this person's house different. So you can really account for everything that goes into the value. But mm-hmm. it, but it's a good tool. Yeah, there's a lot of good tools out there. It's a starting point, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with it. So if you're a buyer though, and you're looking at this, it's it's not gospel truth. This is 100 percent on point, accurate. There needs to be adjustments. Sure. And then, but that, it, it's in, I look at it, it, it's an opinion of value. You speak with two different realtors about the value. They're going to, they should arrive at approximately the same number, but probably not exactly. Right. If you had two different appraisers go into your home, they're go. they're also, it's an opinion of value. They'll come up with it's similar numbers. It's the Kelly numbers. Blue Book. Yes. Right? The so Kelly, Kelly Blue Book. Right. That's what, it's the Kelly Blue Book. Mm-hmm. What's my 72 Chevy worth? Right. Well, exactly. they give you a number, but it's never the number it's that is really, the you're really going to get when you trade that car in. Correct. And then now that applies too, right? So you do, are you selling it to the dealer or are you selling it to a, a person, an <laughs> individual? Point. Or you're selling it to a Chevy collector who absolutely needs this car and loves it. Right. My grandfather had one. And I remember being in the backseat on our way to Six Flags and... 
right? Who's willing to pay more versus so opinions, uh, the opinion of value changes accordingly. Right. And that, that always comes into play, be it an appraiser, be it a realtor, a listing agent looks at it differently. A buyer's agent looks at it differently. And Zillow is really just an algorithm, just adding and subtracting numbers. So that's a, it's a base. Sure. And it's an average. Five different consumers can look at it differently. Correct. Right. At the end of the day, the real estate's what the market is at. And that's why you need a professional involved in it. Right. You know, from a mortgage standpoint, I look at technology and I don't want to mention any names, mm -hmm. but I, I read the other day that one mortgage company, big mortgage company, just laid off 4,000 of their people. Right. And they laid out 4,000 of their people because they're just a the profit center. That's it. Mm -hmm. Profit center. Low rates that's are it. low. We're going to refinance. We're going to do this. And at the end, they just cut. Right. And it really reminds me of some of the things that were going on in 2009. 10, 11, where you saw a lot of mortgage companies exit the business for that reason, mm. because they just weren't focused on home buyers, right? Right. What's the process of someone buying a home and, you know, having the human beings involved with it and not just the online companies, I think just make a huge difference. Right. So what else from a technology standpoint have you seen? And maybe even in your day to day, Yeah. you look yeah. at even your phone for the lock right. boxes, like everything's changed. <laughs> so it, some of it I think is fantastic. Yeah. So some of it is absolutely great. Now you're laughing. So back when, right in 2005 and six, the market was hot and we used to keep a stack of buyer folders in the back of the car and write, we literally hand wrote offers up on the hood of the car and then ran back to the office. On the 72 Chevy. Right. Well, <laughs> no, no, right. we're not that old. No, we're not that old. No. Had the Jeep Cherokee back then, red, cherry red, right? So, Anyway, but go and then fax it over to the listing agent and or throw it on the copy machine so I had a copy and hand deliver it to the listing agent. That was impressive, personal touch. So the technology has changed that because now I'm not good enough to do like a contract on my phone, but I consider the computer use dot loop or DocuSign and send that contract to multiple parties. Sure. Uh, you know, we had a listing, and I had one seller. It was uh, it was an estate. One seller was in Florida. One was in Virginia. One was in New Jersey. Had all three parties sign it within the hour. Like literally, I got on a Zoom call. We did a video conference, and we did like a base essentially an appointment on video conference. They in interviewed me. I did the paper. Forty five minutes later, I had signatures back from three parties in three different states, and. And it was done. And that was kind of nice. Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, really it, nice. yeah. I mean, so, it has huge advantages as far sure. as being able to facilitate the business more right. quickly. Right. Efficiently. So the disadvantage now, because I'm a little more detail oriented, most is, is that I'm aware that people don't read through the fine print most of the time because, well, it's just on my phone. I'm just going to look at that real quick and peruse through it. So I would still encourage as a consumer, you should look and see what's on that paper, print it out if you need to. Some people, they, they tell me, like, oh, I'm embarrassed, I like to print it out. Don't be embarrassed. Print it out, get a highlighter and a pen. If that's your preferred way of reading through documents, do it all mm -hmm. day long. Mm -hmm. And then go back and utilize the technology for signatures and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So the technology is there to help us but not necessarily replace some of the ways that you're comfortable with sure. as a consumer. So it, that's huge. You know, it's funny, what's popping into my head while you're saying that is, just understanding the process, right? So mm -hmm. someone selling a home, it's a different process for them right. than someone buying a home. 
different process. You can't read that online. No. You can't get the complete thing without speaking to somebody. Right. From a mortgage standpoint, it's the process. You right. have to understand how things work start to finish mm. because it just makes you more savvy in that space. Right. And to your point, we want to leverage technology to make things much more efficiently or make things much more efficient and be able to leverage time. But at the end of the day, the personal touch with dealing with the individual. Right. So I I always try to lean towards looking at a lot of the technology. Does this help me have a better relationship with the client? Does it help me have a better relationship with the agent? And some of it's fantastic. We're talking about those, the the lock boxes, the electronic and essentially it's great because I can assure the seller, hey, look, we know what agent is going in tracks via an app. We know who's been in your house, what time they went in and what time they left. Mm-hmm. As a seller, I would feel, okay, that, that kind of puts me at ease. Sure. It's a huge thing. So there's 100% accountability when it comes to showings and so on and so forth. So technology's really worked in our favor in that area. The MLS, the features have gone, oh, they've gotten so much better. Now even there's different platforms and flex and matrix and a couple of private small you know smaller private companies that are uh, even not as the platforms aren't as good but there's still now you can go through click through images have automatic emails sent to you Mm. well that's been around for a long time but um you get personalized alerts and so these things are all tools that help us I, i i i embrace the technology but i have to admit because of my age I had to like, I have to really make an effort. I fall behind on it. You right. know, um, I, I do like having the paper lists of, you know, the paper list folders. I, I walk around with a lot less uh, in my briefcase than I used to because everything's pretty much accessible on a cloud. Sure. Uh, and that helps, of course, the unfortunate part is the real estate commission comes in and says, hey, we want to see, we had a complaint on such and such a file. I can help me sit down and in five minutes pull up the documents from, when and download that printed out they usually want to say it or email it to mm-hmm. them and it's just it's all still there i didn't lose right. the papers they didn't fall they didn't they're not in the wrong folder they're not in the wrong folder in the wrong filing cabinet that was every day that's right. just that used to happen <laughs> so um you know one of our agents oh they put this and what well, i'm gonna have to dig through and so it's there i could get a question for you dina where do you see the technology going mm. that's a great question um, that's a tough one because I, I, you know, <laughs> this is where I feel old. I couldn't have imagined it being this good right right now. Right. You know, when we have everything from, uh, the database management. So we have the potential to keep in touch with past clients in a way that we've never been able to and reminders, Hey, it's so-and-so's birthday and Hey, it's so-and-so's house anniversary. And right. so, I mean, those things are freaking awesome. Right. So you, you really look at it. They're all there to help us and help us do our business. The technology in the future, the only concern I have, and I don't know that where I see it possibly going, is if it if it becomes too much into into play where um, I guess the consumer thinks that they can sell and buy and just replace. Right. So we all know, and you take that, you're gonna you can apply that theory to any industry. WebMD. Yeah, WebMD right. does not replace your real doctor. I'm sorry. So the running joke in my house. Oh God, my son Luke, my yeah. 15 year old. You know Luke. Yeah, you know, we love all Luke. my kids. We love Luke. So is if you Google how you, you just said it last night, oh, I Google. No. You know, I get a, a pain in my left arm. 
And one is I pulled a muscle. Another one is I, I overextended it. The other one is, you know, I have stage five leukemia. Right, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, there's so much information out there. I really find our jobs today. Right. How do you take all the information and chunk it down so you can disseminate it in a very effective format to the consumer? Well, so half of that is where the technology can't replace because now, all right, we're going on 20 years later, we can, we've seen the changes in the industry, mm -hmm. positive and negative, and we can apply all the, that experience and knowledge mm -hmm. and say, okay, well, this is what's happening today and this is where I think the market's going. So Mr. and Mrs. Seller, I think, you know, if you're looking to, I met with someone this morning, they're not ready to sell now. We're really looking at six months from now. The new construction won't be ready. Uh, but trying to anticipate, and they're trying to plan accordingly. That really, they're super smart, and they're they're already they're fast folding to the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Forget about March. Their their brain is on December of 2022, and into January of 23. So, and I appreciate that because they're collecting all the data and making a good decision. Well. Chunking all that information down requires, well, okay, this has happened in the past. This is where I believe we're going. I can look at the market data. This is what's happening. Uh, we have different sources. So we look at, okay, the board provides us with uh, some type of data, you know, for market statistics, local markets. We have, of course, economists that, of course, give us more statistics, bigger picture. Watch the news. You put all these things together. But now you take all this information and we have to essentially um make it digestible right. right and so at the end of the day i hate to say it i mean obviously we're sitting here for way too long right probably talking and we can spew all this information at the end of the day you have to realize what is my client individual client looking for mm -hmm. and so you have to actually share that information to how your client wants to receive it mm. some people don't really care <laughs> Some people are not sitting through your 45-minute presentation about how great you are and, and then how great your company is and then all the market data from the county and the town and the neighborhood. Some sellers just want to know, what's my damn house worth, <laughs> right? And, th and that's, how you sh that's what you should give to them. However, someone who's like this morning who's pre-planning for uh, nine to 10 months from now and 11 months. Well, those people, they may want some more information. So mm -hmm. the answer to the question is really dependent upon your consumer, dependent upon, so you, you know, we, one of the major things that will never change in our industry, regardless of technology is service, but in order to, not everyone requires the same amount of service. Not everyone wants or needs the same amount of service. Mm -hmm. So as, as any salesperson, but especially in mortgages or, uh, but especially in, in as a realtor, we have to be able to speak with our sellers how they want to be spoken with. We want to give them the information that they're looking for. Yeah. Now And then it gets very interesting when you have to give them information they don't want. When you tell them, oh, I'm sorry, your house is worth, we use the $100,000 barrier. Your house is worth $100,000, not $150,000. i am sorry that your neighbor told you. <laughs> or yeah. the po or the, the UPS guy told you your house was worth more, but it's just really, so you still, we have to go through, but so there's the delivery, but the, and then you may have to delve in a little bit deeper, 
But how does your client want to receive the information? What do they care about? What's the, what are the, some of the important factors to them? I couldn't agree with you more. And that's extremely well put because at the end of the day, you know, it's understanding what an individual needs. Mm-hmm. And reading something online or trying to do research, that can be very beneficial right. for, for some people. You know, whatever segment of the population that is, that analytical 20%. Right. But then to your point, you got 20% that doesn't care at all. And it's really the people in the middle. And, you know, how do you want to, how do they want to be communicated with? How does everyone want to be communicated with? Right. You know, just that's extremely important because if you're communicated with in the fashion that you need to be, that the consumer needs communicated to, right. they digest the information. Exactly. Just like us as consumers. Right. I'm going in to buy a car. I need certain things that someone needs to tell me. That's right. And certain things I don't care about. That's right. So, so that, that's the huge factor that comes into play, regardless of how much information and technology you have at your fingertips. What, what does your client really want? Right. What do they really care about? What factors are important to them? How much information? Because I've had people up front tell me, you got 30 minutes to wow me, uh, bottom line it. And it's like, <laughs> and I'm out. And then, and, and what do I do? I can't go through, I can't go through the whole. And then other people, they want to read my resume. I've had in the past. Uh, can we see your resume before you come over? So I have pre, you're right. You have the pre-listing packet. You send it over, and including all your things, wonderful things you've done, and how many awards you win. And then you have other people tell me they don't care. <laughs> they just don't care. <laughs> they don't care how many times you made platinum or gold. They just don't. Right. They want what? How how much money are you going to get me? And how do you plan to do it? Sure. And you bet you you really need to be able to communicate that effectively. And so, you know, I th- and I and I think that kind of big picture, not to make it so grandiose, but really understanding people and communicating right. with them in the right fashion. It's our industry. All right. It's the whole world, right? All right. And they'll get all the things going on in the world. It's really can't we all just communicate and communicate in a fashion that everyone's happy with, right? Right. So I believe as we go forward, regardless, so there's the technology will get better and better at providing us with information. Mm-hmm. However, it's what we do with it. Right. So going forward, when this applies to from the broker position, how do we communicate the information, changing in rules and regs, changing in laws to the agents, and then how do the agents communicate to their clients? Well, again, it's there's the communication, but then ultimately there's the service. Mm-hmm. So whether a house sells in three days or a house sells in three months, or if, God forbid, we go back to that market, where a house sells in three years, well, what type of service are you providing? What type of service is your client looking for? And you need to adjust accordingly. Yep. Because many people, again, it goes back to the, the communication. Their realtor didn't communicate effectively all the great things that they did. Some sure. realtors don't do any of those things. So if you're a consumer, well, what does is, what is my agent intend on doing? Snapping a few cell phone pictures, putting some big, you know, skeleton and the skeleton it, it, listing it, in, it, and you know, along those points. Or, before I lose this thought, mm-hmm. is you know, from a consumer standpoint, be prepared with the questions. Yeah, you know, the things that are important to you if you're going to sell your house, if right. you're going to buy a house, right, right. So you know specifically what to ask, mm-hmm. and you know, it's another reason why you need to call an experienced real estate agent, experienced right. mortgage person, right. That's right. So you can be led down that path. Right. So uh, a good and bad thing, again, with going back with the technology, is I know we're all, we're all impulse buyers. So you click, you go on, pick your favorite housing website, click call agent. Well, you do that and you speak with six or 10 or, you know, a dozen agents. 
you know, ultimately, if you stumble upon a good agent that you trust, you should really stick with them. Uh, you keep doing that enough times, you may get an agent that A, doesn't know what they're doing, to be really honest, doesn't have any experience. And and even a newer agent sometimes is extreme, is, will work their butt off for you a lot. So it doesn't have to be the criteria. Right. Uh, but who's mentoring them? Who are they accountable to? That's a factor. So what are you looking for as a consumer uh, that should translate into who you're working with? But if you keep spinning the wheel, you may get someone that you don't really want to, and you may get steered in the wrong direction. And then you can't say, oh, my realtor did, or my realtor sold me. Well, how many of them did you speak with? And how many did you... How many times did you confuse yourself by talking to getting too many right. right too many cooks? How many how many people can you have in the kitchen making the making the mm -hmm. stew? I've but, always felt you know, the best way to if you're buying mm -hmm. or you're selling, referral oh, from yeah. someone that you know. Oh, always. Right. I mean, it just seems the most efficient way. It's it's inherently mm -hmm. less transactional. Oh yeah. Right. It gives people the opportunity to uh, get to know each other a little bit because you have a common person. Yeah. That you both worked with in the past. So. Mm -hmm. Or known in the past. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So the technology will be there for the information, but the service and the referral and the trust that come that comes from one on one, and, mm. the, and the technology can't replace that. Yep. I, I, and if it do, if it does, I think it would be for a short period of time, and then we'll go back. So it's applicable to a lot of different industries. Oh, I can buy a car online. Well, wait. Now that I have this car physically here, I don't like it. <laughs> right. Well. The website said it was great. Well, it's not really how it worked out. Oh, I can book my own vacation by myself. Well, wait. So the travel agent actually knows, and the travel agent does all these extra steps that you didn't even think of doing. They've been there before. They've been there. They know. <laughs> right, they right. they they know the bartender at the right, and so right. So they know they know the maitre d at the restaurant, and so these are the things that you didn't take into you didn't even think of taking into consideration. Where it's oh, oh yeah, the technology's there, so I can. I can and I can, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. <laughs> you know? Good point. So uh, that's where going back and as a message to realtors, as the market changes, right now the market's super hot, but we know the pie is not, going back to the very beginning, we know the pie is not big enough to feed everyone. Right. So 15,000 as we approach 16,000 agents in Monmouth Ocean County, well, I, I'm going to gather probably within the next five years, we're probably going to lose probably three to 4,000 of those. Mm -hmm. Well, if you'd like to stay in the industry, what's your value? What are you providing? Mm -hmm. What type of service are you giving? You know, the things you do today, people will be able to see online mm -hmm. two, three, four, five years from now. So is your marketing today going to be impressive five years from now? Well, it should be because you're not, you're not the listing that you're marketing today. People are going to see next year. Mm -hmm. If the market turns in two or three years or whatever levels, correct. Well, is that going to be impressive to that to a seller a couple of years from now? I mean, I've had I've been very fortunate where people have called me up and said, "Oh, you know what? I saw some of the things you did on this other house," and I'm like, "Where? where you know who referred you? Because we do a mostly referral business." No, no, I just saw your stuff online and I liked it and I'd like for you to come over. It is a great picture of you. Right, thanks, thanks. That was <laughs> it's only a few Before years the old. Beard. But marriage aged me, you know. <laughs> a child aged me. Made whatever. you better. <laughs> Made me right. Yes, better. My face is rounder. So next question for you. Mm -hmm. So you have an offer that comes in, 
and you have a mortgage pre-approval because every offer that should be being sent to you is a complete contract, right? Not a partial contract, complete contract yeah. with a copy of a mortgage pre-approval. Mm -hmm. Does the lender matter? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I hate to say it, but we're local. I mean, like I said, we're doing this long enough here in Monmouth County. And so now I get, yesterday, get offers and I look at the contract, look at the addendums, look at the pre-approval. Oh, I know that lender. Oh, 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 yeah, I know. Okay. Oh, yeah, I know that company. Oh, they're, they're right in Thomas River. Oh, they're, you know, they're right in Ocean County. Oh, these guys are right in Red Bank. These guys are right in Homedale. So those that absolutely matters because there's a level of accountability. Right. So I see your name on a pre-approval. I can I, I get the warm and fuzzies and I can call up and I can encourage my sellers, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, I just um, called the lender, verified these buyers are great. They, uh, they already have their tax returns in or, or even knowing because of the relationship with the lenders, hey, well, you know what? We didn't get this far. We've only got up to this point. And mm -hmm. so, um, I know I'll, I'll, I'll be able to keep that community, that those lines of communication open, which in turn will make my sellers feel better. Yeah, and you bring up such a great point, big picture on that local, right? right. Local marketplace, right. local real estate agent, local attorney, local mortgage lender, local everybody, mm -hmm. because everyone's in the same community and right. everybody has skin in the game. It's very hard to hold an 800 number accountable. Oh no. Yeah. And that's exactly the key, the, the accountability. So the accountability of a local lender is, well, I'm going to see you next month at the spring fling, at the board party, right, at the networking event. I'm going to see you. You're going to, oh, well, you want to come and speak in my office? Well, remember when. Right. <laughs> right? So right. there's definite local accountability versus, you're right, calling. And I you know, look, big big companies, Big box companies, they're fine. They're, of course, we know that they have billions of dollars to lend out, and that's great, but there's no accountability. Right. So there's that, you know, there's that balance. So, yeah. and you know, at times they get up billions of dollars in advertising budgets too. They get factored it. into the rate to the consumer. That's right. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Right. So when I look at that as well, when working with the buyer, is is that big bank going to give you the best deal? Mm -hmm. And are there, are there hidden fees in there? And so on and so forth. Sure. So that's okay. where that comes into play as well. Okay. Well, Dino, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for all the great information. Mm -hmm. If someone was looking to get in touch with you, what would the best way to reach you? What would be the best way to reach you? Call or text me at number 732-771-3881. Or, yeah, that's the best way. Call me, text me. I, I'm usually, I'm here, whether if you're an agent, I, I can answer questions, help you, guide you. If I can't, which many times I'm really just going to guide you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Who else should you be speaking with? Mm -hmm. uh, as a consumer, even though I can't help you, people say, oh, I know you're in New Jersey. Do you service Fort Lee? No, that's two hours away from me. Uh, but I know a great agent up there. I can help you guide you sure. in the right direction. Even if I can't, I can I can try to always That's great, Dino. Can you give your phone number one more time? 732-771-3881. Fantastic. Well, Dino, thanks again for being here today. I appreciate everyone taking the time to listen. And we'll look forward to catching you up on next week's podcast. Thanks, everybody. I know. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavis at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.